Well, it's good to see you again, and I thank you so much for tuning in, and I thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support, thank you for your giving, and thank you for encouraging words. Those kind of things always mean a lot. And um, I want to invite you to turn with me in the Word of God to Psalm 64, and I'm going to make an opening uh, statement by uh, Matthew Henry. He says, the upright man is the mark at which the wicked aim. They cannot speak peaceably either of him or to him. And um, I'm not so certain that that's 100% true. Uh, there are times when, um, well, the Bible says in the book of Acts that even the early church, that they found favor with the people. I think they're uh, that's a little bit extreme, that last part that he says. But I don't disagree with the fact that the upright in heart, those who live righteously, those who know the Lord, that, uh, well, there are arrows, you're a target, things are aimed at you. Now, we have to remember that um, as we think about the trials we face and the people that we face that uh, oppose us, there are reasons for that. And the reasons are their fallen nature, of course. They don't see things the same way that you do, and they can't. Remember, the Bible says that the things of God are spiritually discerned. You have to have the Holy Spirit in order to uh, understand it. And you can't understand God's Word without the Holy Spirit. We're different than those who are lost. And so uh, you're going to clash with this world and those situations are going to have differences of opinion just on the human level. But then we also go into the spiritual dimension and we forget sometimes the Apostle Paul warned us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And that's kind of a statement of we do and yet we don't. Uh, there are times when we do seem to be in a wrestling match and it sure does feel like it's flesh and blood. But Paul is telling us that even when that happens, because Paul's persecutors, they were flesh and blood. The people that pulled out swords, the people that bound him in chains, the people that slandered him, they were flesh and blood, right? But he was seeing beyond that to what was really going on that the real enemy was not those people. I heard somebody say one time the reason that Jesus could hang on the cross in such agony and such pain and yet say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, is because he could see that the flesh and blood people that had actually driven nails in his hands and his feet were not his real enemy. And we forget sometimes that our real enemy is the devil and the demons of hell. And they are the ones that are attacking us using flesh and blood. Using flesh and blood. But the flesh and blood people are not really our enemies. We're supposed to love them, pray for them. We're supposed to bless them. Boy, that's hard to do. And uh, we don't naturally do that. That has to be something that, that God does. And we also have this idea that if I'm living righteously and I'm living a godly life and I'm a nice person and I'm not, you know, throwing firebombs at everybody else, I'm just, you know, living my life and being good to them, that they will be good to me. I wish that were true. Now, sometimes it is. 
There are times when you might take a meal to your neighbor and they may say thank you and send you a thank you card and tell everybody around on the neighborhood Facebook page what a nice person that you are. But then they can also turn uh, into an enemy very quickly if there's a clash in morals or a clash in beliefs or if you are witnessing to them. It doesn't always... uh, work out that if I'm a good person, everyone's going to treat me nice. In fact, if you want uh, further confirmation of that, why were they so angry at Jesus? And why would they crucify him? Why would the mob rant and rail against him and say, let his blood be on us and on our children? He's the sinless son of God. So why do bad things happen to good people? Well, we first of all have to recognize that there's none that doeth good, no, not one, the Bible says. So we're not really all that good. And secondly, we need to look at Christ and understand that if the world and people could turn on him with vengeance, well, they're going to do the same thing to us. Paul said in one of his writings that I fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, he didn't say that Jesus did so much and I've got to finish it and do the rest. That wasn't what he meant. What he meant was that the devil can no longer get to Jesus Christ. That's over. He'll never be able to do that. And Christ will never be put to open shame or tormented or anything like that at all, right? So what does he do? He comes after those like the Apostle Paul and like you who look like Jesus. And if you're identified as a child of God, living as a child of God, living according to the Word of God, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, you made yourself a target. And that's what Matthew Henry is saying, and that's what I certainly agree with. And I remind you, John 16, 33 says, this is Jesus, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Okay, now that's statement number one. In me you may have peace. Do you? I hope so. But then he says statement number two, in the world, that's the contrast, you will have tribulation. And so if you are thinking that um, I'm trying to live for the Lord and I'm having trouble with that, so I'm going to find peace in the world, it's not going to happen. You're going to have tribulation. And then he makes a third statement, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And we need to identify ourselves with Christ and find our identity in him and in his victory. But understand the trouble part. In the world you will have tribulation. That's what David was experiencing in Psalm 64. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You can't compromise with a roaring lion. You can't compromise or make peace with a hungry lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. Ephesians 6, 12, and 13, But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, not just the pieces you like, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. 
So uh, one writer said, like David, you were going to get hurt by other people and you were going to hurt other people. It's a part of life. And so uh, we looked last week at David's prayer and today we're going to look at the next set of verses and we're going to see his problems. So let's go back and start at verse 1 so we get all of it. Psalm 64. Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation, my thoughts. Preserve me from fear of the enemy and hide me from the secret plots of the wicked. Secret plots. Understand that. From the rebellion of the workers of iniquity. Now let's pick up at verse 3. Who sharpen their tongue like a sword and send their bows to shoot their arrows. What are the arrows? Bitter words. Verse 4. That they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at them and do not fear. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. And they talk of laying snares secretly. Notice this repetitive secret, 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 hidden. Those kind of things. And they say, who will see them? Again, the idea of it's in darkness, it's hidden, it's secretive. Verse 6. They devise iniquities and say, we have perfected a shrewd scheme. Both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. Okay, let's kind of tear that apart a little bit. And let's think about how the enemy through people, how they attack, how they intimidate, how they harass believers. This is just a fact of what things are going to be. Now, you know this already. You've experienced it. Every little kid going to school experiences some of these kind of things. Politicians experience these things. Christians especially experience these. These are common in the world, and they happen to everybody, but uh, sometimes we wonder why they happen to us when we are trying to be good and we are trying to do what's right. Well, we become a target. Okay. First of all, let's talk about accusation. Uh, it talks about the tongue being sharpened like a sword. I mean, it needs to be cutting and sharp and uh, biting on all of that. And then um, their bows, they bend their bows. That means you pull back on the bowstring, okay, to put tension on it and to launch the arrow. And they shoot their arrows. And what are the arrows? Well, there are bitter words, David says, bitter words. You know, whoever said sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Man, that is so untrue because wounds many times heal. You may have a scar, but they heal. But I promise you, no matter how old you are, you may be 80, 90 years old, and you can still remember something maybe that your father said that hurt you to this day. You can remember what a friend said, what a teacher said. You can remember what your spouse said. And boy, when that is brought up, when you bring it to mind, when you choose to remember it, you can remember how you felt and you still feel much the same way. And you can remember what you were wearing. You can remember what the temperature was. You can remember what the setting was. You can remember how their face looked. I mean, boy, it, it just doesn't go away because words really do have power and words do hurt. In the book of Proverbs, 
it uh, says that life and death, the power of life and death are in the tongue, right? And uh, sometimes we can use our words just like the enemy does, bitter words, words that come out of us. We've got to be careful how we speak. We've got to be careful what we say because so many times we focus on our wounds and how others have hurt us. But brothers and sisters, we also need to be aware of how we hurt other people. And we hide behind the fact of saying, well, it's the truth, and I just tell it like it is, and all of those kind of things. The truth of the matter is sometimes we sharpen our tongues like swords as well, and we better be careful about that type of thing. Now, David is talking about accusations that are flying his way, gossip, slander, uh, judgment of his motives and of his decisions as king. You know, it's hard to be a leader because you never make everybody happy. There's always somebody and maybe even a 50-50 type thing where uh, to make one decision, you make half of the crowd happy and to make the uh, right decision, you make half of the crowd unhappy. And it could be even worse than that. Sometimes leaders have to stand alone. And notice here that it is not a face-to-face type thing. Uh, They shoot arrows, and they're bitter. They're not encouraging. They're not helpful. They're not complimentary. They're not positive. Nothing like that. They're, They're bitter things that are coming your way from that sharp sword of a, an accusative, critical, biting tongue. And David says that uh, this idea of it being secret is what made it even worse. Here the king is, trying to rule and reign, make the best decisions, be the best king that he can be, and the response that he gets is that people shoot accusative, bitter arrows back at him, and he doesn't even know who's saying it. I heard um, someone say, I think uh, first time I heard this, it, it was at a, a, a shepherd's conference at John MacArthur's church. And uh, one of the seminars I was at, they said that you ought to uh, uh, speak behind people's backs. Kind of caught my ears. What do you mean? And he said, whenever you are confronting or critical of someone, say it to their face. Whenever you are complimentary, say it behind their back. Talk about people in a positive way when they're not around and, you know, let other people, um, you know, take that and let that be the tone. But when you have something critical to say, say it to their face. Okay? Well, uh, again, I may not be 100% about that, but I think it's a good rule of thumb, isn't it? And that's what David says, the thing that was so hurtful, they were done in secret. In the book of Proverbs 27, verse 6, it says... Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the uh, kisses of an enemy. In other words, an enemy will try to flatter you and they'll make you think they are on your side and they're really not. A true friend is someone who will tell you the truth and it may even hurt you, and uh, yet it's actually done for your benefit. In Revelation 12:10 it says and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for listen the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God where is Satan right now he's 
accusing you and accusing me and accusing believers before the throne. That's why Paul said when we wrestle against the powers of darkness, he uses the plural. Fallen angels, demons, that's what we confront every day. Satan is accusing us before the throne. And so when we are accusers of one another, listen to me, children of God, fellow church members. When we accuse one another, whether it's a pastor, an elder, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, whether it's someone that is just a normal, common member of the church, it doesn't really matter whether they are um, well-known or nobody knows them. Whenever you are slandering them, gossiping about them, criticizing them, judging them, slandering them, accusing them, you just took on a title of the devil. That's not for a child of God. That is not your identity. That's not the way we're supposed to act. So let's be careful about that because accusation is a tool of the enemy. Let it not be named among us. Here's the second thing, and these will all start with A's, anonymity. And notice that it says in verse 4 that they may shoot where? In secret at the blameless. That they may shoot in secret and suddenly they shoot at him and they don't fear. Why? Because they are hidden. They don't do this and attach their name to it. Um, I've had a few times over the years of my ministry that I get an anonymous note and I pay no attention or very little attention to anonymous notes. In fact, sometimes they don't even get read. Because if you don't have enough courage to sign your name to it, why should I care what you think? If it's just simply something that you want to do to accuse me or someone else, and you don't have the courage to say, this is what I think, and here's who I am, so we can sit and talk about it, then why should I care? One prominent pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention, he said, don't even read them. They're notes from nuts. And uh, that, that tends to be true. But what I do take serious is if somebody has a concern that they're willing to talk to me about, or if they write it down or something and they sign their name to it, I take those kind of things seriously because here's the difference. I consider the fact that if you identify yourself and you have the um, wherewithal to speak to me about it, I consider you a friend. And I take that that it's an expression not of criticism, but of the fact that you care. And you want me to be a better pastor, and you want our church to be a better church, and you want God to be glorified. Hey, we can talk about that. Whether we ever come to full agreement on it or not is a different issue, but we can talk about it, and we can be on the same side. We're on the same page. We want the same things. Now, what was happening to David? David was not getting that kind of love, that kind of concern, that kind of care, and that kind of feedback. It was all anonymous. It was just suddenly coming out of him, uh, at him out of nowhere. He had no idea that there was a problem. He had no idea that uh, anybody had any kind of concerns. In other words, the term suddenly leads us to believe that it was an unexpected type thing. Now, you've had those times when you knew something was wrong. Maybe you couldn't put your finger on it. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's with one of your kids or something. And then they come and they talk to you about it and they express it. And, and you go, okay, now, um, now that makes sense. I, I saw that coming, you might say. 
But you've had those other times where something just hits you, as we say, out of the blue. And uh, that's what David is talking about here. No warning. It was in secret, so it's anonymous. It was suddenly, it was unexpected. And the person who did it was absolutely fearless. They didn't consider whether God was in it or not. They didn't consider that they were going to reap what they sowed. They didn't consider that they were going to be judged by God for what they did. It didn't matter to them that they were striking out against God's king, God's anointed. They didn't care. They were fearless when they should have been terrified. Well, there are a lot of people like that, aren't there? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 14 says, And no wonder, for even Satan, look at this, disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, and their end will correspond to their deeds. In other words, they ought to be afraid. They ought to be very afraid. And yet David says they're not. And when he says that this came suddenly and this came out of the darkness and all of that, you know what that leads me to believe? Probably it was coming anonymously from someone he thought was a friend. Someone he thought was a supporter. This was an act of treason. This was an act of betrayal. And sometimes this kind of stuff happens in churches. People will smile at you while they're stabbing you in the back. People will say something kind about you while they are actually destroying you behind um, your back. And that ought not be the way it is for the child of God or in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shouldn't play these anonymous games. So accusation, anonymous. Thirdly, the word is ambush. Have you ever felt ambushed? You thought you were walking into something? Referring to John MacArthur again, he told us one time at a shepherd's conference that he walked into a staff meeting and uh, he said, good morning, love you brothers, it's good to see you today. And one of them stood up, and this is a paraphrase, said, basically, if you think that we are on your side or supporting of you, you have another thing coming. And they led a rebellion in the church, and a lot of people left the church, and he lost a lot of his staff on that one day. Boy, that kind of thing hurts. It's the same kind of thing like if you come home from work and find that your wife has left you and she put a note. We had a church member one time who uh, came home on his anniversary and found a note from his wife that she had left him and she didn't love him. Boy, that's an ambush. That's horrible. It's the kind of thing to where maybe people you thought were on your side, they turn against you, they gang up on you, and you feel defenseless and all of that. That's where David is. We've all kind of had those situations. He said they encourage themselves. See, they're a group, and they're all, yeah, yeah, that's right, and they're, you know, pushing each other on. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. This is not a good thing. This is not a helpful thing. This is not a godly thing. This is not something where we try to find resolution or common ground. This is all or nothing on this, right? And it says, they talk of laying snares, and here we have the word again, secretly. And they say, who will see them? We've got them well hidden. Nobody's going to see. This is not open. This is not honest. This is not upfront. This is not caring. This is not for anything good. This is only to destroy. 
because evil is bold and unashamed. And evil is able to kind of encourage themselves. They work in mobs. They work in riots. They work in those kind of things. You ever notice that? And once a riot gets started, once a mob gets started, they just start grabbing people and holding people in and enfolding them into whatever they're doing. And it just kind of like a snowball going downhill. It just gets bigger and bigger and it gains momentum. I wish good things would do that that easily, don't you? And so we uh, think about this idea of an ambush. Here they come and they are laying secret snares for you and they are hidden in the bushes around there and ready to watch your downfall. This is what David is feeling because evil is bold and it's unashamed and it gets plenty of encouragement. Um, Just to illustrate that, if you do something good in your neighborhood you might get one or two thank yous or something like that. But if you were to do something that the neighbors would consider bad or wrong or evil, you'll see a lot of people speak out and be very vocal and turn against you. It's kind of like if you are a parent and you do what's right as a parent, particularly if you're a mom, and you're doing right by your kids and by your family, you're probably not going to hear a whole lot. Oh, Mother's Day is nice. And, you know, maybe at your funeral they'll say some nice things. And maybe they don't say anything against you, but they don't seem to notice what you do. I told Sammy one time, the biggest compliment you can get is to be taken for granted. Because if, you, uh, if I ever come home from work and uh, one of my kids come up and say, Dad, you won't believe it. Mom fed us today, you know, that would be, you know, indication you weren't doing your job. But the fact that that is the normal thing and it's taken for granted, that's what happens when you do the right thing. But if you do something wrong, everybody, everybody's going to hear about it. The same thing can happen when you talk about a Sunday school teacher or something like that. Let them do what they're supposed to do and they can do that for 30 years And people will say, well, they were supposed to do it. What's the big deal? Let them do something wrong, and it'll spread like wildfire, won't it? Well, that's uh, what is happening here and what David is feeling and what he's thinking about. In Romans chapter 1, verse 32, it says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but look at this, they give approval to those who practice them. So initially they work in secret, and then they begin to flaunt it before a God who sees and knows all. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 26 says, For wicked men are found among my people, and they lurk like fowlers lying in wait. They set a trap and they catch men. But that's not the way we ought to work. And we ought not be like the world and we ought not be like the devil. We ought to work in a different manner. Take that to heart. Please do. And number four is the word arrogance. It says in verse six, they devise iniquities. And then look at the quote here. We have perfected a shrewd scheme. We've 
found the perfect crime, a criminal might say. We've done this and we're not going to get caught. There will be no reper repercussions. We really have done this and we've got it. We did it. And it says both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. This is talking about the fact that the pride and the arrogance that makes people think we're right and we're doing the right thing even though it is just dead wrong. And they think that they're going to get away with it. They think that they'll never get caught. That is such an arrogant, arrogant idea and an arrogant statement. There's no humility in any of this. There's no compassion in any of this. You ever been involved in something to where somebody came to you and they were talking to you about something that was wrong in your life and you were moved because you could tell they cared? You were moved because you knew they were really trying to help you and maybe you even saw tears in their eyes? And maybe at first you were defensive. Maybe at first you were a little bit angry. We all tend to do that, right? But as you thought about it, you thought about, why would they do that? They weren't trying to hurt me. They weren't trying to destroy me. They weren't trying to drive me out. They were wanting to embrace me. They were wanting to make me better. They were wanting to help me. They were being a friend in this situation. Well, one of the things that you will notice when someone truly cares on all of that is just humility. They're not setting themselves up as Lord and judge and master and your destroyer. They're not putting their foot on your neck, so to speak, are they? They're trying to lift you up. They're trying to help you. But the people that David are dealing with here, they are empowered by the enemy, and there's a lot of arrogance, and it's coming out of their heart. The thought and the heart of man, they're deep. They come from way down inside. You're seeing who they really are, David is saying. The depraved mind can dream up incredible things can't they in proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 it says these six things the lord hates yes even uh, seven are an abomination to him and then he names them a proud look there's arrogance right a lying tongue there's some of that anonymity or maybe even the ambush hands that shed innocent blood right but here's what i really wanted to get to in verse 18 a heart that devises wicked plans a heart that devises wicked plans it's amazing the kinds of things that the heart can desire and also the wicked things it can devise especially to try to destroy the people of God they assume that they'll never be caught and they won't be held accountable they flaunt it both the Inward thought and the heart of man are deep. It's nature. They do what is natural for them. This is what depravity does. Promote self, destroy others. Promote self, put others down. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. So let's wrap this up. If that's the way the enemy works, then as the people of God, we ought to be repulsed by that. We ought to be um, disturbed by that, especially, listen, especially when we see any of those tendencies in our own heart. And I assure you, you will. So don't be surprised. 
these things are going to happen to you and to other people. This is the way things work. This is the way our media works. This is the way politics works. This is the way so-called journalism works now, right? Don't be surprised. And uh, you might even see it in your own family or in the church. Don't be surprised. But here's another thing. Don't add to the toxicity by retaliating. All you're doing is making it worse and you don't want to be like them, right? And uh, fight the right enemy. Understand they're being controlled by someone else. The powers of darkness according to Ephesians 6. Pray for them and bless them. Jesus said love your enemies and bless those who curse you. And then the bottom line is trust the Lord to take care of them because he sees and he knows and he is not going to be passive about it. Now, he may not act when you think he should or even in the way you think he should. In fact, he might actually save them. He might actually bring them by his goodness to repentance. We all like that when that happens to us. The Lord blessed me so much I got right with him. Well, he might do that for someone else. But trust him because the bottom line is this, is God getting the glory he deserves. So thank you so much for uh, watching this and listening. Some of you do it by the podcast. Thank you for that as well. And may the Lord bless you and have a great week. Pray for one another and serve one another and honor the Lord in everything you do. And if you're like David and find yourself in these situations Handle it the right way for the glory of God.